to another episode of the Vinny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight, the podcast, as always, can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you can think of. Terry is still in Ireland, so today the women are taking over the podcast. So you've got myself, Stephanie Allen, and uh, Liz Churchville, and then... The lucky gentleman who gets to join us is the one and only Jeremy Schilling. Uh, so hopefully Jeremy can keep us on track. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing awesome. Yeah. And before we get started, I do have to say a quick shout out to my husband. It's his birthday today, so happy birthday. He is the one who brought me the love of the Red Sox. So without him, I would not be a fan or even be a Sox follower. So thank you for the gift that keeps on giving. All right. Um, with that, I'm going to punt it over to Jeremy and let him recap our quick little I don't even want to call it a series with the Rockies, but a quick little two-game hit with the Rockies. Yeah, I know these series balance the schedule and, uh, you know, the off day before, and then, you know, there's an off day tomorrow, or uh, we're just shy at midnight, but, you know, there's an off day coming. Um, I hate it. It, it, it. One thing I love about baseball is the idea that you can get home almost every day and have a game to have this weird series. It, it's off putting to me. Um, so, but th- there was a two game set and there's some to talk about it, despite the fact that it was two, only two games. Um, game one was Freeland versus sale, a game we touched on in the preview pretty heavily last podcast. Cause Freeland's having a, a bad year, but he is a good pitcher. Um, he had a quality start. He had three earned runs and six innings pitched, five hits. Um, their bullpen was really good, really, really good. Five innings pitched. They gave up one unearned run on four hits. A um, bunch of guys I've never heard of. Um, and ultimately, that was the difference in this game because you cannot lose a game when your starting pitcher has 17 strikeouts, and the staff has 24 strikeouts. But they found a way to do that. So Chris tells a story here, despite the loss, seven innings pitched, three hits, two two runs, both earned, 17 strikeouts, zero walks. He lowered his ERA to 4.24, so with another good start, he's going to be a sub-4 ERA, which is a trending you know, to where he should be. Uh, Workman was part of the problem here. Sale gave up a home run to Arenado to cut the lead from three to two, uh, from three zero to uh, three to two, and the signs were on the wall that they needed to be careful. Workman came in; he'd been so good all year. He was one of my uh, heroes two podcasts ago. He was not a hero in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, one inning, one inning, two earned. Uh, you know, problematic. They're actually down four to three. Moreland with a base hit ties the game, but ultimately, uh, in extras, the Rockies win five to four uh, by beating Brazier in the eleventh. Um, Martinez uh, is unbelievably hot. He's uh, spoiler alert. He's going to be my hero. He had two hits in the game, an RBI on a on a home run. Um, and Chavis had two hits in this game 
Other than that, a couple of scattered hits, not much to get too excited about in a really, really disappointing loss. Game two, we had Eduardo Rodriguez versus uh, Herman Marquez. Now, this game was really, really entertaining if you stayed up tonight to, to watch this thing. Marquez, six and a third, ten hits, five runs, all earned, six strikeouts um, versus Erod, who had six innings pitched, nine hits, five runs, a, a walk, and ten strikeouts. This came down to, honestly, what bullpen was better, and at the end of the day, the Red Sox bullpen was just a little bit better. Um, four innings pitched tonight between Barnes, Walden, Hembry, and Workman. And they did not give up an earned run. They did not give up a run on two hits. Um, ultimately, Chavis with the base hit to win the game after Xander hit a ball off the garage door in center. So a split of the series. Not much has changed. The Yankees are winning. So um, the standings are pretty much unchanged at this point. I predicted a split. That's what happened. Uh, day off, and then a um, you know kind of a wonky game one, and then a, you know a late win in game two. Yeah, game one kind of felt like a, a fluke. If you look at our numbers and you know the number of strikeouts, and then to lose it, that was a tough one. And I'm happy to see that we rebounded tonight, and we didn't come out you know kind of with our heads hung, and we played hard and took the win tonight. You never know how they're going to rebound. Well, and the other thing for tonight, specifically with Chavis having the the, the ball he hit up the middle after after Xander's double, a um, couple points. One, good base running by Xander. He read the ball in front of him and stopped at second and didn't take right. the risk to try to get the third. And after he stopped, the ball got misplayed. It's hard to judge a play when you know what happens at the end of it. Good base running. Decided not to take the risk with zero because he was the leadoff hitter, so there were no outs. So really good base running by Xander. He's been great all year. I love that it was Chavis. I love that it was Chavis because Chavis being uh, called up to the big leagues and what he's done so far um, has been awesome, and we've talked about it. But right. now winning a game in the bottom of the ninth at home at Fenway that's the sort of stuff that could snowball a guy who's young player rolling into something that could be really, really special. So I, I think it's not only obviously good for Chavis, but I think it's good for the program that it was him. Um, you know, again, and I don't want to, because the Twitter fingers are just going to hit me hard on this one. Right. Pedroia was just shut down. He's back in Boston. His rehab stint is completely over. So it's, again, cementing the fact, I think, in the program's eyes, in the Red Sox eyes, that Chavis is the guy at second base. Uh, the other thing with Chavis tonight was that Nunez plate went into second um, after some late inning uh, changes, and they kept Chavis in the game at first, late in the game, in extra yeah. innings. Yeah. That, I thought, was pretty interesting. A guy who has really had... I think has less than 10 innings at first base on any level in the, in, in major league baseball or the minors. That is a tremendous sign by, by Cora that they trust him. Yeah. Well, by the way, they trust him. So he stays in the game and ultimately wins it, but they trust him to, to play first base in an extra inning games when every, obviously everything means so much. And, 
it worked. It worked. I mean, he yeah. made. The, not only did he not make a, have any problems at second base when he played there, he had actually a couple nice plays. Uh, the trust to put him at first, I think, just speaks uh, to the organizational trust in the player for a guy who's played 23 games in the majors. But, so, but he, but he's not a second baseman, right? No, no, he is a he's a third baseman. But obviously, Devers is our third baseman. He's been outstanding, and um, but you know, again, he he went in. You know, Moreland started the game. Moreland's a, a has won a Gold Glove at first base. Right. Uh, Pierce is on the roster. He's an above average defensive third ba- first baseman. But at, it, when when push came to shove, based on some earlier moves too, but he was in an extra inning tied game playing first base at the major league level. I mean that. Yeah, that's, that's a whole lot that's, of trust. It's only one way to view that, which is Cora and the organization trust them to make the plays. Yeah, definitely. And, well, yeah. well, well, and the Red Sox haven't been a team that have really utilized any type of utility or, or not too much. Not that I've noticed anyway, given the limited amount of time that I've paid that much attention, like actually tried to watch almost every night, which is still completely shocking to me. Honestly, but uh, but you think like he could end up being that guy? I mean, just you know, let's say by some strange, stupid chance, you know, Pedroia comes back, they, they just find somewhere to put him. Just re- say rest Devers, you know, one night, put him there, you know, put him, put him wherever they can put him. Rest JD at DH and let him let him hit, you know, just because he deserves a spot in this lineup. If anybody deserves a spot, it's definitely Chavis. I don't think they'll. I think they'll develop him into a position player. It it it's second. I mean, it's looking like second. I think he's even too valuable to just use as a utility player. I think you need him playing the majority of nights. Well, he could still be. He could be utility and play every night. Uh, not to bring up somebody who's going through some tough times right now, but Ben Zobris, my favorite player. Uh, in the league was an every night utility player. I mean, he played second, he played right, he played he played anywhere that you could place that man. And that's that's probably one of the reasons why I love and appreciate him so much and uh, why his current situation is so saddening to me. But, um, but I mean, it's definitely possible. It's harder, you know, obviously, you know, to be that versatile and not everybody can do it. But just, just from watching him, you know, what little bit I've seen him, you know, he, he could be that, but the Red Sox are an old school organization and uh, chances are you guys are right. (laughs) Well, so I think it's a good question. And, you know, the comments to me so far make sense both ways. You're right about Zobrist. And for those closer to home and want a, uh, an example in Boston, Holt made an all-star yeah. team playing every day, but playing a different position every day. Yeah, the, the thing about that is it takes a, a professional athlete that has almost no ego because everyone wants to know that when they show up to the ballpark that they're going to be, you know, hitting – Fifth, playing third, if you're Devers, or hit and lead off playing left, if you're Benintendi. Like, that's, you want that consistency. And that's not the, there has to be a Swiss Army knife on every good team. And for me, the Swiss Army knife, if all things were created equal, it would be Holt. Because Holt, Holt, Brock Holt hits. Yeah. He, he can go the other way. He can pull a ball, he can bunt. Although he's not asked to do it much, um, and he's sound defensively, at balls at him. Not not a great range, but 
he has no ego in doing it. You know, he'll play left, he'll jump in, play second, play third. He wants to be in the lineup. Most guys can't do that. Uh, most guys, by the way, don't have that versatility. Zhu Wei Lin's another guy in the organization where I think he's a good utility player in that fashion. But typically with utility guys, they're not great at one thing. They're kind of you know, average at a whole bunch of different things, and they can swing the bat a little bit. Now, with Chavis. Don't you think, too, though, Jeremy, but Zhu Wei's not a good example of that, but that kind of the younger guys, like the Devers, the Chavis, they need that consistency more, too, to like learn and grow in a position. I don't know. I don't know if that's well, true or valid or not. Another example, to your point, would be Alex Cora, our current manager, right? who was a utility guy on a team that won a World Series where Dustin Pedroia was playing second base. And one of the – look, I don't want to go down a huge rabbit hole here with right. utility players, but utility players are actually typically veterans yeah. that are comfortable in their own skin as far as their role on the team. Young guys want to – become an everyday player because obviously if you're an everyday player you're you're more important you make more money you get long-term deals usually utility players are one-year guys cora was a one-year guy he played i think in six different organizations or something like that um that's brock holt that's way lynn chavis is not that chavis I hope is going to be a Red Sox for the next 10 to 12 years and he's going to be in the middle of the lineup bat that's not what I view for Chavis. Now, given, given where we are right now, another example of a guy who had to be moved around a little bit early on, who later became clearly an everyday player was Xander Bogarts. A lot of people forget that not uh, JD Dew's brother, who I'm forgetting his first name was actually the shortstop. uh, When Xander came up and we, we went to the world series that year, Xander started at third base to allow for drew the veteran to play short. And um, obviously, at the end of the day, Xander did uh, acquiesce, and you never heard a, a negative word from him, but he grew into be and is now for the next seven years our everyday shortstop. That's where I see Chavis is in his career. Like, by the time 2020 ends, he's going to be, they're going to say, you are this position and you're going to be this position for us for a long time, just right. like they did with Xander Bogarts. He's, and by the way, he's not skilled defensively enough to play a whole bunch of different positions right i just don't think so and the other thing is a guy like that an offensive guy like that you don't want to fuck with you want to you want to plug and play just like right. you do with jb bets bogey benintendi your key guys are plug and play guys and i think they see that in chavis so i just don't see the utility role for him yeah i mean i think at the end of the day they want to make him a franchise guy and you know have him a spot and this is who you are um, shall we transition right into heroes and zeros? Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. And, and for those unfamiliar, which I don't know how you could be at this point, but heroes and zeros, heroes are those who, uh, like the name implies, are the hero, one of our heroes of the series for us. And the zeros are those who, well, they just didn't quite do it for us. So I'll let Liz start off with let's hear your heroes. My hero, and and I've shouted both them out like multiple times, I think, but uh, so I know I'm kind of repeating myself, but uh, I have to call it Sale. Sale and Leon specifically. Uh, I mean, I'm a Leon person. I think I've, I've been that way since last year. 
Uh, I love watching him behind the plate, and uh, no matter what anyone says, I think he's making a difference. I mean, 17 strikeouts, come on. You know, for any shortcoming he's had at the plate that Vasquez is obviously, uh, you know, doing much better in that department um, than he is. If I know he's not going to help uh, Porcello or Sale get 17 strikeouts every single game, but uh, if he gets them anywhere over 10, then, you know, he's definitely worth keeping around. So I'm calling out the battery. It was pretty awesome. It was great to see. And uh, I was deeply saddened by the loss that, you know, Sale and uh, him put together a great a great game just to, to have the bullpen kill it for him. But that's something that we kind of predicted in the offseason anyway. Yeah, that was a tough one. But it, it is cool to see their chemistry behind the plate. And, uh, you can't argue with the fact that Sale's pitched better since Leon's been back. Jeremy, what you got? I started talking when I was still on mute, so if anyone's, uh, luckily no one's in my house watching me because I look like a crazy person there. Uh, I Just quickly on sale. Um, he has been tremendous, tremendous. And literally three, four starts ago, there were people wondering, you know, did we just, did the Red Sox submarine the next five years by extending him too early? Um Terry. Definitely include, Terry. Including, <laughs> including Terry. Uh, but Terry's not alone in that position. No. Um, I, I took a, okay, I'm starting to worry, but I still think there's plenty of baseball left um, approach. Um, and then there's the some people that say, go sorry. ahead. I took the frustrated, not panicked approach. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the fair approach. Um, and there are some people still that would say that despite his turnaround, he hasn't had the longevity in the last three full seasons where there's some expectation that he's going to fail in late August and September. Now, Cushman. um, What we have is, uh, in my opinion, a, a really impressive turnaround. He has been awesome. Now, with that said, he's definitely a hero, and he was awesome. He didn't. He does not deserve to be. <laughs> he, the, the fact that they lost this game is just—it's yeah. a tough look. And by the way, I'm happy that they won tonight because losing a game like that when your staff has 24 strikeouts can snowball into a losing streak. And the Red Sox didn't let that happen, so that's that says something. Yeah. But Christopher Sale, could you do me a solid one time? and pitch a little bit more to contact. I understand the strikeouts are impressive, and I understand that because of your early season struggles, you wanted to prove to yourself probably, certainly your teammates, and certainly the fan base that you still are the player you are and that you're worth $150 million. But, bro, pitch to contact, please. Throw the ball uh, with the intention of getting soft contact so that you are not throwing the amount of stressful pitches you are. Now look, I'm not I'm not saying that he has to do it that way. I just think that for his long-term health, for the people that are going to say that he's going to break down in late August and September, one thing he could do to address that is have lower leverage innings by pitching to contact just a little bit more. And his stuff is back and I think he's capable of it. So that's what I'll say about Sale. My my hero is JD Martinez. He's got I think four home runs in the last three games or something like that. He's been unbelievable. I mean, he's yeah. been unbe- he's been unbelievable all year. Uh, he is absolutely our best offensive um, 
consistent offensive weapon. And honestly, I think he's the leader of the team, although that really hasn't emerged and they haven't necessarily said it. But he's so level-headed. He's so even-keeled. He makes every good decision he with his defensive struggles okay because he's not talented defensively but he gives good effort and he's certainly you know no one's going to question his desire to win ball games but i'm so i'm just talking about offense he knows when to take an extra base he knows when he's not he knows what he is running the bases and every single at bat he has a chance to get a, a hit an extra base hit and a big hit he does not get himself out and you get to the point when he, he, cause he's been so consistently good that you feel like every single at bat could be a, a base hit. And it's just something you don't see on at in baseball because it's a, it's a, it's a sport of failure. The best players, you know, everyone loves saying, you know, the best players fail 75, 75% of the time or 70% of the time. And I guess that's true. But with JD as good as he's been, you really are shocked when he doesn't, get a base hit so or get on base with a walk so hero jd he's been a hero all year i love this guy i have significant concerns that he's going to be back next year after he obviously opts out of his current deal yeah i think jd really you said he's kind of a leader but they don't talk about it i definitely see him as a leader on that team and uh i think it started when he came there and he started recording all his at bats and you see him talking to other people and that culture kind of you know wove itself in and his work ethic is highly talked about and i think it pushes the other guys as well i i think jd's great my hero is michael chavis or ice horse right um a uh if you just start with his home run in game one that was absolutely one of the most ridiculous things i've ever seen um it was so far gone that they couldn't even tell if it was actually a home run or not because it bent in at the end, but it was so high. Um, and then also, of course, uh, you know, we've already talked about it and touched on it, but um, winning the game in the bottom of the 10th night. So uh, Michael Chavis is definitely my hero killing it at 23 years old. Uh, and now for the other side, Liz, who's your zero? My zero has got to be pretty much the whole bullpen uh, at this point. But as we've talked about at length uh, in the offseason, we pretty much predicted they'd be the weak spot and that the bats were going to have to kind of pick up the slack. Uh, But I'll get a little more specific, I guess, particularly game one. You know, they ruined it for sale and, uh, you know, they deserve to be called out for it. Workman uh, came in in the eighth and had that two run home run by Blackman. And then, uh, you know, of course, uh, Brazer came in and Mark Reynolds, uh, old school utility guy, too, if I'm not mistaken. He's been in the league for forever. Uh, hit a line drive uh, to score Trevor Story, and that's what won game one for them. So uh, just to see to see the game get lost that way was just so crappy. Unfortunately, I didn't make it all the way to the end. I was really trying, hoping they'd pull it out. Walk-offs, no matter who's playing, are always exciting even though, frankly, you guys are only uh, four games behind the Rays. So uh, I have a vested interest in you guys losing. But uh, but still, um, you know, the bullpen really dropped the ball, literally, this time. Yeah, um, it's, it's kind of funny how the season's worked out where the bullpen really was actually a bright spot early while what was perceived to be the strength in the starting rotation was really good. Yeah. Um, 
And the thought was, we know the starting rotation is going to write the ship, and they have. But there were people starting to think, including myself to some degree, that the bullpen was maybe better than we perceived. Um, recently, not this series, but recently, there's been a ton of blowouts where there just hasn't been an opportunity to really even assess the bullpen because they're pitching the game, and it's like 12 to 1, right? right. So it's been tough. When they've been needed, they haven't been great. And, um, you know, that was evident tonight. Um, and just as a lead into my zero, my, my zero is a combination of Eduardo Rodriguez and Alex Cora in the seventh inning and the decision to bring him out. He was at, I think 99 or a hundred pitches. He did not, there was no need. I don't know what it is with Alex Cora and feeling like they got to squeeze 10 more pitches out of Erod. He was done. He had done his job. He had done his job. It was right. five to one. There was just no need to have him in the game. So I don't know whether it's to blame for Cora or it's Erod. And if there was a conversation where Erod convinced him, then I blame Erod for trying to convince him and Cora for listening to him. But it just, yeah. Yeah, your point's a really valid one because I think e I think Core has done that several times with Erod, where it feels like he tries to stretch every pitch he can out of Erod, but then every other pitcher, especially in the beginning of the season, he was protracting them so much and like you know, Sale would hit, I don't know, 40, 50 pitches and he's pulling them or, I mean, he was pitching like crap at that time. So go figure. But Erod, he was stretching and stretching the pitches out of and stretching the innings out of. And then anybody else, it felt like he tries to protect them more. So it's interesting to me to see. And I totally agree that like, why do you need to go back out there? There are other yeah. times when we've called out that same thing when we're like, we felt bad for Erod because he's out there. He's killing it. He was our bright spot for a while as a pitcher. And, and he kept getting kind of hung out to dry, if you will. Yeah. I mean, no better example than the world series. Right. Uh, where he throws his glove on the ground. He should not have been in the game. We talked about that. Right. Probably right. a combined two and a half hours in the off season. So I'm not going to touch on it now, but I mean, that just was unfair. There, there was, there was a point in the first two weeks of the season where the starting pitching was just so bad and he had had, he had given a quality start, but he was not stretched out and he right. went out after like, let's say 90 pitches when no one, no other starter had thrown more than 80 and they were and core made requirements of him that they weren't making of price and Porcello and sale where those are the leaders of your staff. I, I, I think he got fucked tonight. I think he, I, and I, and that's why I don't know who to blame because right. let's, I'm assuming a conversation happened after the six and Hey, Erod, you're at 99 pitches. You know, can you go out there? Yes, I can. So either Erod needs to say, no, dude, I've done my job or core. Even if he does say, I'm going to go out there, core has to say, I'm going to give the bullpen a clean inning. So then back into the zero of the bullpen, right? It's tough to put them in that spot. Okay, anybody. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're, you know, I don't care if you're Dennis Eckersley in the prime of his career closing games. You can't go zero outs, bases loaded. Hey, bullpen, here you go. Yeah. When it was so obvious that he shouldn't have been out there in the first place, then they leave him in there. Then they leave him in there, first and second. Then they leave him in there, bases loaded. Now we'll bring in Barnes. 
Right. It sucks. And, and then Barnes did not do his job. Like you're brought in in that situation. You need to minimize the damage. He didn't do that. Um, and ultimately this game went into extra innings and it shouldn't have been that it, this game should have been a five to two or five to three win in, you know, an hour earlier and without the extra innings thrown by the bullpen. But, you know, a combination of the zero of the pen and a combination of the zero of Erod slash Cora led this into something that I don't think we should have been there. I, and honestly, um, and the just, Rays uh, collision helped us <laughs> helped us a bit too. Yeah, Last. I mean it's it's a confluence of a number of different things, right? But at the end of the day, I, I thought there was bad managing in that inning. There was obviously bad pitch execution by Erod. And then the bullpen didn't execute and get out of the situation. So it was just, a, it was a, like I said, it was a confluence of a whole bunch of bad stuff. So my zero is the combination of Erod and Cora uh, in the seventh there. Well, and before, before we move on to Stephanie's zero, I wanted to just touch on one more thing and it plays into that whole situation. Cause then that inning where you said Barnes came in after, you know, Barnes came out, Walden came in and, uh, the announcer said he has the most wins of any bullpen pitcher in the AL right now. Uh, I believe I saw he had five wins. Um, and he seems to kind of have his shit together. I mean, how do you guys feel about him being used? I mean, I saw some blurb about maybe he's going to be the closer or something. But what about just, you know, if he can really keep it together in a tight situation, even though at the time that he came in at that exact moment, it wasn't really, there were people on base, but it certainly wasn't bases loaded. I mean, how would you feel about using him as, you know, that guy that comes in during those things? You know, could he be the answer when there is a rough spot like that? To me, that's a really good question. Uh, Steph, do you want to go first? I think, um, yeah, I think it is a good question. I think Marcus Walden has done a really good job for us. Um, You know, how we choose to utilize them and having like this, um traditional closer i don't i don't know if that's the way we're it's like that's not the way we're doing it this year you know i i don't know i mean i think they are utilizing him in that way um but you you mean bringing him in when we have bases loaded like instead of barnes yeah i think there's just not enough history there and i think you know they trusted barnes and obviously that that didn't work out great so you know (laughs) it's just trial and error at this point and i think that in my mind, Cora is still trying to figure out the pieces he has and seeing who can be most consistent and when. You know, Walden and Workman were both um, kind of uh, – they, they were both killing it, in, especially early in the season. They they were doing great. And I, I was laughing when you said that about the announcers saying how good he was because I'm like, and then did he F it all up because that's usually what happens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you want to quote some great stat about somebody and that the second you quote it, they fuck it all up. So it's great. Yeah. But um, Historically. <laughs> yeah. But I think Core is just trying to see what he's got and who's going to be consistent and who he can count in on in what situations. Like Brazier can't come in with traffic on base. You know, who can? You know, that kind of thing. It's getting to know your pieces. Yeah, I feel like 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 the closer the closer is important. I'm not going to say that that it's not, but I feel like having that consistent, you know, person isn't isn't as important as maybe it used to be in the past like you just don't see as many teams using it or or whatnot maybe I'm just saying that because my team doesn't um you know really have any consistency at all anywhere but um 
But I feel like, you know, maybe having that guy, you know, and whether or not Walden is that person or not, I don't know. But, uh, I mean, if they're just experimenting with everybody else, I mean, I would maybe hold off and see, you know, if, if you get to the eighth, late in the eighth or the ninth, and he fits, whether it's a tight spot or not, you know, definitely use him. But uh, I think he would have been a sounder option uh, than putting Barnes in there. So, Marcus Walden, to me, is still an unknown. Um, he's 30 years old. He's a career minor league reliever um he's five and zero uh this season with a 1.46 era he has 15 he's pitching 15 games he has an additional eight games at the big league level um so his career era is 2.29 but i look to be a closer and to be a closer on a team that has aspirations of winning another world series you need to have someone there that is accustomed to that role or generally the disposition. Um, I don't know enough about Marcus Walden, but I, I hesitate to go like all in on a guy who has like zero track record. Right. He's been good, right? 24 and two-thirds innings, 30 strikeouts. Very impressive. Anybody who can get more strikeouts than innings pitched is considered a swing and miss guy, and swing and miss guys are so important because obviously if you're striking people out, they're, they're, you don't even need to worry about people fielding the ball. Now, the other good thing about him is he doesn't walk anybody. His whip is ridiculous, 0.69. It's unbelievable. And I am certainly impressed by this guy, but the track record's too small. The thing that drives me nuts, and we talked about position players as the you know the concept of plug-and-play where you just know, like Benintendi knows when he walks into the Fenway Park every day that he's hitting leadoff playing left field. This bullpen, the, the the roles have not been defined, and I don't. I don't. It doesn't look like they're going to be defined. I'm a fan of defined roles, like you know when you're going to pitch, so that you can get into a rhythm of like, okay, if I'm the eighth inning guy, let's say Barnes would be the eighth inning guy. In the sixth inning, I'm going to get up and stretch. Right. In the seventh inning, I'm a, 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 on the top half of the inning. Uh, I'm going to start to throw lightly. In the bottom half of the inning, I'm going to ramp it up, and I'm going to start throwing all pitches live. Then I'm in the game. There's value in that, in my opinion. And I don't know what the answer is. I personally like to see Barnes, uh, not, not Barnes, Brazier as the closer, uh, Barnes as the eighth inning guy, and then, you know, a combination of guys for the sixth and seventh. But if you define the roles, it just makes it easier for the, those guys to prepare for what they're expecting to do on a day in and day out basis. They're, they're not there. I, and I, for good reason. I mean, they don't they don't have established arms. Like, there's no Kimbrel, you know. There's no, you know, tried and true arms out there that you kind of know what you're going to get. And a lot of it is Cora playing the hot hand. So Brazier was good early. He's not so good late. So he was closing games. Now he's not. But you know, I don't know what to expect for Walden. I do hope that let's say by the middle of June, Cora figures out who's going to slot in where, and we have defined roles to put these guys in a chance to, to be successful consistently. Because right now, I mean, it's it seems as if he's just pu pulling names out of a hat. Yeah, I think he's, like you said, it's kind of trial and error and the hot hand and, you know, see, see what's working for you tonight, you know? <laughs> yeah, 100%, and I don't like it. <laughs> so Steph, who's your zero? 
my zero, and I feel bad picking him again, but um, because, you know, uh, he's trying. But uh, it's Jackie Bradley Jr. And it's Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, because even though he's giving effort and he's, you know, you can see, you can commend him for that. And, you know, he's really trying. Even when he um, had a, a, a good shot today and had a good hit, he tried to he tried to make a double out of a single and got thrown out. So it's like maybe you're trying too hard. I don't know. Um, so it's Jackie Bradley Jr. And All right. So I'd like that. to just I'd like to touch on that quickly because the because when you're struggling, things like that happen um, because you're trying to force it. So yeah. you finally do get a base hit, but then you press it and you get thrown out at right. second, and your base hits wasted. Um. Look, and then they're talking about you on a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm sure he's listening to it. I'm sure. Uh, now, Hi, I'm, Jackie. I could get Twitter fingers on this one, okay? So. Could or will? Could. You don't know. You just never know. Some Sometimes people are, more, you know, are ready to hammer me, and sometimes people let me be. But here's the thing, because uh, there's so many Jackie Bradley Jr. fans out there, and for whatever reason, he's likable to most. Yeah, and that's fine. I don't like him mainly because of the Dennis Eckersley thing. Um, I do think he's an effort guy, and I, I've never questioned his effort, and you know that's fine. Uh, but the Dennis Eckersley thing, and we've talked about it exhaustively on this podcast, so I don't want to do it more than I have to, but he's submarine Eckersley. He was part of the, the thing with Pedroia and Price. Uh, he tricked Eckersley into a photo that he then used on social media to basically say, uh, this guy is my reason for being or whatever his stupid caption was, but he submarine accurately and tricked him into like taking a photo so that he could submarine accurately on, on social media, which in my opinion, um, and you know, everyone knows I very rarely have opinions. So he, <laughs> he, he literally tricked a tried and true, like major league baseball, a hero, uh, Hall of Famer, and it, so that he could eviscerate him on a social media platform that Eckersley's not on in Instagram. I, I just thought it was one of the more cowardly moves I've seen of a professional athlete in the last 10 years. Now, notwithstanding that, I don't like him. I think he's just a, a bum offensively, as good as he is defensively. It's, it doesn't overcome his defense. I, 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 I just want to say this, because a lot of people say, uh, what Steph said, which is he gives a high level of effort, and no one, I think, can disagree with that. I just want to make the distinction between effort and then professional athlete effort. Effort from a professional athlete is not enough. Right. Like it's you're and and, and by the way, Jackie Bradley Jr. is being paid like ten million dollars a year. You have effort alone. Is not there has to be results and. We're not going to do it on this podcast, but the results are not there. So what are the options? What are the, what is the Red Sox going to do to address the fact that the guy that they plug and play in center field is a zero offensively? And then when he does get a base hit, he gets thrown out trying to stretch it into a double because he knows that he's underachieved to a level that he felt like he had to do that. I just – I And you I remember just, he went through this last year too. I remember he went through this a couple times last year where he slumped for a while, they sat him for a while, then he came back, and then he picked it up a little bit, and 
it, it's an ongoing issue. And then I thought at the beginning of the season, there was all this talk about he had changed his swing and it was going to be better. And I thought he was hitting better in preseason, but here we are. So, so question. I mean, to me, uh, he seems like the Red Sox, Kevin Kiermeyer. Um, only he makes significantly more money. So is he, I haven't really been paying attention to where he's been in the lineup consistently. Has, has he been basically in the same spot or has Cora tried to move him around and see if that's the problem? And the reason I ask is because I know for a while Cash was trying to force, because let's face it, uh, aside from Snell now that he won the Cy Young, Kiermaier was one of the few names that people knew, you know, so he, they were trying to almost force him to be the leadoff guy or maybe even the, the second hitter. And it just wasn't working like for him most of the time. And so what did they do? I'm trying to get his, uh, I don't know what his batting average still isn't that great, but, but I mean, what did they do? They shift him to the, to the bottom of the lineup, still pretty bad, but they shift him to the bottom of the lineup and he magically starts to do better. It's almost like they removed that leadoff pressure and the amount of at-bats that he was statistically, you know, on average going to have to take. And, you know, he improved a little bit. And he he gives the Rays value by preventing runs, which is where I also think uh, Jackie Bradley falls into line with Kiermaier. Sure, he's not worth $10 million, but, I mean, I, I have Kiermaier. I think I saw he's making, like, 3.5 or something along those lines. Let's just put it, out, put it at $4 million. We'll round it up and be nice to him. So would you guys want Jackie Bradley for four million a year to do mediocre at bats and then be awesome in center field? Steph, do you want to handle this one or would you like me to take a crack at it? It sounds like you're ready, so you can have it. So Kevin Kiermaier is a really interesting example because they're both what I would consider plus plus defenders. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by plus plus meaning, you know, Gold glove capable players. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that I, don't even, said- I don't even know where to start with this. Okay. Like the Rays, the Devil Rays expect a different, like something different from every player because they don't have the JDs and the bets in the lineup. Right. So their three hitter and their four hitter in a Red Sox lineup could be their seven or eight hitter. It's just a different situation. Now, Kevin Kiermeyer's won two gold gloves. He actually won a platinum glove, meaning the best defensive player in baseball, which mm-hmm. is, like, impossible to win. So this guy is probably the only guy where you could say he might be better than Jackie Bradley Jr. defensively. Let me just throw some numbers at you, okay, because I think numbers, especially in baseball, help tell the story. Now, whether they rely on Kiermeyer to hit at the top of the lineup or not, to me – is is it's a, it's tough because again it's the Devil Rays versus the Red Sox. Kevin Kiermaier is a um, in 128 bats has 29 hits, two home runs. He's hitting 227. He's got 13 RBIs. Uh, his OPS is 679, which is about 40 points lower than the major league average. So he's not been good, but he's not. His actually his WAR is 1.1. And probably a lot of a large part of that is because he's that good defensively, but he's asked to do a lot more offensively for the Devil Rays compared to Jackie Bradley. Now let me hit on Jackie Bradley, okay? 118 at bats. Mm. He has 18 hits, mm. zero home runs. He is hitting 153. 
with an on-base percentage of 257 and with an OPS of 444. Again, the the major league average for those that don't know is somewhere typically between 712 and 720. That's the major league average for on-base plus slugging. This guy's half that. He fucking sucks. I'm sorry. He blows. And look, I don't care how good defensively you are. That is just he is a okay. He's a he's a detriment offensively. He's an automatic out. And it doesn't matter if the bases are empty or if there are people in scoring position, if there's a man on third with no outs, one out where you can score a run without a hit. He sucks. He's just awful. And the the fact that Kevin Kiermeyer is getting three and a half million a year and Jackie Bradley's at ten. To say that I would do a player for player swap, I would literally drive <laughs> from my house to Tampa, pick up get your up, rickshaw, get your rickshaw out again. <laughs> well, I'm not that I'm not in any good shape, so I'm, I can't do it by foot. But I'd pick up Kevin, I'd drive him to Boston, and then I'd pick up JBJ and make him sit in the back and tell him to shut the fuck up while I drive him to Tampa. I mean, it's it's not. At least Kiermaier gives you an opportunity to have an offensive situation where you, something positive may happen. You know, he's hit two home runs. He's got six stolen bases. He's got some RBIs. He scored 18 runs. It's not great. He's, you know, he's having a down year offensively, but he's giving you something. You know, I mean, Jackie Bradley Jr., man, I just don't know what to say about this guy anymore. And the crazy thing is, that if you wait until the next base hit, and by the way, you may have to wait a while for Jackie Bradley Jr., so I can't say it's going to happen in the next few days. But let's say it happens, you know, next Thursday. Go to Twitter, because holy smokes to the JBJ's back tweets start happening right away. And they're not ironic. They're, they're unironic tweets. Like, people are literally like, he's back, base it up the middle. I saw one tweet that said today, I've never been more happy than to see Jackie Bradley Jr. line out on a 104.7 mile exit velocity. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> hey, that was my tweet. Just kidding. I'm looking at the like, like he got out. Right. The ball was caught. The ball was caught. Like, are you like, is this guy on drugs? What are we talking about? I think like, I saw a similar tweet that said Jackie Bradley's two hits, 102, whatever, and 104, whatever. And I'm like, right, but what happened with those hits? Like, so he hit the ball hard. <laughs> Did it do anything good for us? <laughs> I honestly look, except for the Eckersley thing, he's got a pretty clear record personality wise, yeah. morally wise, ethically wise. Like, the Eckersley thing is an is a outlier, which I probably place more on than most people. You know, good looking guy, nice smile, very athletic comes every day, stays healthy, gives good effort like you were pointing out. But I have a problem because of the Eckersley thing and the fact that he actually proven that he sucks offensively. So I, I don't understand <laughs> infatuation with him. I don't. I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm blown away that there are people that defend Jackie Bradley Jr. every time he hits a soft line drive to center for a base hit, which, by the way, he's only done 13 times this year or whatever it is. So that's where I'm at with it. Um, I don't I don't know what to say. I th- Jackie Bradley Jr. is – I get him off my ball club. 
Yeah, I'm not quite there. And I, I'm not, I understand all your points. I get them. But I still love to watch Jackie Bradley Jr. in center field. You know, well, Steph, you, you could like just, you could just occasionally watch Kevin Kiermeyer's highlights <laughs> and you guys could get rid of Jackie Bradley Jr. <laughs> and Jeremy could be happy and then you could see an awesome center fielder. <laughs> I do see an awesome center fielder. I just don't see an awesome offensive center fielder. <laughs> I don't want the Twitter fingers because They're I coming love- at you. Nothing- it's already a done deal, Jeremy. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing I love more than the game-saving catch in Baltimore. Yes. he was- And the catch where he's got his left foot, three foot, up the, up the wall. Right. So that he literally make a catch at the 10-foot mark where any other center fielder except for Kiermaier, Griffey in his prime, very few examples that would make that sort of play. Like, there's nothing that, like, makes me jump out of my seat like, oh, my God, what a catch. But, and here's the thing where I think people are a little bit delusional. (laughs) A lot of it delusional. That, that occasional great play does not overcome the fact that he is literally one of the worst offensive players in Major League Baseball right now, if not the worst. Like, there are plenty of people that can catch fly balls, like, for example, Benintendi or Betts, where you can put someone else in a corner outfield position that gives you something offensively. He's, guys and girls, aliens, and anyone else that's listening, (laughs) you have an eight-man batting lineup. He's that bad, where we are literally winning games with an eight-man batting lineup. Because he is that much of an automatic out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I got you. I mean, look. I he, got you. But did you see? But did you see how he hit the ball and it went 104 miles per hour? I mean, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm being completely facetious. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, it is, I, I, honestly, and the truth is, and I've said this a hundred times, especially in the Pedroia situation, I root for the guys that are in Red Sox uniforms. Yeah, a hundred percent. Whether I like them, like I, I never liked Euclid. I thought his personality sucked. I still think it sucks. But it's not like I didn't root for the guy. He's playing for the team that I invest this much time, and of course, I'm going to root for him. I just may not like him, and I. I because of the Eckersley thing, I find it really hard to like Jackie Bradley Jr. But he's just guys and girls and aliens and whoever's listening. He sucks. <laughs> he sucks. Can we all agree? Yes. Well, ter- he sucks a- offensively. Terry. I will agree Terry. with that. Start a poll. <laughs> Terry's in Ireland. He's ignoring you. Of the following. He's, he ignores me whether he's in Ireland And he's homesick. I'm like, you're in the mother country. Chill out. Okay, anyways. Oh, no, I want to- Moving on. Enough, enough JBJ hate for, for today. <laughs> hey, we've got Houston coming to town. Oh, God. Wants to talk about that. Looks like on Friday, we have our funky day off tomorrow, and then Friday... We're, uh, we got Rick Porcello facing Garrett Cole. 
Uh, Garrett's four for four with 3.88 ERA, 86 strikeouts, uh, more than double the strikeouts that Porcello has. So looky there. And then the next two games, uh, Astros have named their pitchers and we have not. And I'm assuming that part of that is because David Price might be coming back. But we've got Corbin Martin on Saturday with a nine. Uh, 3.38 ERA and nine strikeouts. And Brad Peacock on Sunday with a 4.01 ERA. So that's how we're lining out. Uh, any guesses on, do we think Price will be back? I know that it's sounding good for him. What you think, Jeremy? I think Price is going to get one of the two weekend yeah. starts, and I think Velasquez will get the other. Yeah. Um, I, I predicted that Erod would get the start today, even though they didn't name him um, until the, basically the after the off day or late in the off day. Um, so I personally, that to me is an indication that I think they're hoping that Price starts one of these two games, and then I think yeah. Velasquez stays the fifth starter for now. Um, so that's the way I like, I, I don't know why they haven't named the starters at this point. I don't know yeah. what, I think they know who they are. And, and if that's the case, it kind of pisses me off. Like, just tell us who's going to pitch. Um, this is the sort of series where I just, as a baseball fan, generally, even if I wasn't a Red Sox fan, I'd be all excited about a yeah. rematch, a rematch of the ALCS of the last two world series winners. Um, both teams are just totally stacked with talent. Both teams have what I would consider top five managers and AJ Hinch and Alex Cora. Um, so this, this to me is this thing where I, I'm just so excited for this series. This is probably, uh, a series I'll enjoy more than a Yankee series. Cause frankly, I think Astro is just a better product. They're 29 and 15. They are awesome. They're so good. I think they're going to be in the ALCS again with a chance to get to the world series and probably in my mind be the odds on favorite to win it. It's going to be tough to break down the series generally. Cause you just don't know who's going to pitch on right. Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Cor- uh, Corbin Martin's been better um, in a very limited role. He's only got nine strikeouts. He hasn't thrown any, a real real amount of innings, I, and I yeah. the fact that it's three point three eight ERA to me at the, as a result means almost nothing. Um, right. I would think that this game is um, on Fox uh, prime time on Saturday night. Uh, I would think this is good game. They're going to throw Price, and if that's the case, yeah. and assuming Price can give you eighty five pitches, I like their chances. Um, Friday, Porcello against Garrett Cole. It, that that's going to be interesting. Price has been so much better than what his ERA is recently, um, and Garrett Cole is a legitimate, you know, one or two on any team in the league type of guy. So um, I, that's a coin flip to me. Maybe even leaning in the way of the Astros, and then assuming it's Vasquez versus Peacock, you just you know Velasquez, Velasquez, whatever. You know, I'm close enough. Don't pick on me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to save you from the Twitter fingers, man. Oh, those things never stop. Never stop. So anyways, this is a crazy series. And and, I, and I'm going to defer to you guys now in, in about 10 seconds. This game, I don't see the Red Sox sweeping this series. But I could see it any other way, meaning the Red Sox 
uh, getting swept, winning one, winning two. Um, but it just there's so much talent. The Astros and they're playing really, really well. Um, I really, really hope they can win two or three, but I could see it easily going the other way. Yeah, I'm excited for this series as well. I I agree with you. I'd much rather watch uh, us play the Astros versus us play the Yankees any day. And and for me, it's because the Astros players are more likable. I don't like any of the Yankees. Like I boo hiss. Um, but I I mean, I love Altuve. I like Bregman. So I I think they're fun to watch and. Um, it, it doesn't feel dirty, if that makes sense. But um, so I'm excited. It just, you know, it doesn't feel I don't dirty. That's the, that's my word. I'm sticking with it. Um, so I, I'm excited. It's like a clean ball game. Anyways, I'm excited to watch uh, the series. Uh, as far as a guess on how we'll come out, I, I'm just going to agree with Jeremy all night. But I do agree with you. I, I don't see us sweeping them. I, I would love that. Like, let's do that. But I don't see that happening. I, I do see where we could get swept, but I don't think I don't see that happening either. So I do see a split and I'm sure hoping it's a split our way. I I hope we take the series. I hope Price comes out on that game on Fox on Saturday and just murders it. You have to also factor in the fact that they're pissed about the ALCS yeah. and we're not even we're not even thinking about it. So they're going to be motivated to kind of like right or wrong in their mind where it's like we, we're not like we don't care because we won the World Series. So, I mean, it is what it is. Um, Churchville, you got anything? Uh, I mean, I hate to uh, piggyback on you guys, but uh, I mean, I have to third it too. I enjoy the Astros as well. They're, uh, they're just a great team. I think you guys are, you know, are going to have a uh, time, you know, with them. They always seem to particularly having started out. A little bit rough. Uh, they've definitely been pretty dominant uh, as of late, and uh, the Rays are actually playing the Yankees. So if you have the capability of watching two games, uh, that would definitely be my second one. Even though I know boo hiss, we all hate the Yankees. If there's one thing that we can unite around, it would be that. But uh, but they'll, those definitely be the two series to watch uh, coming out of the AL East. Yeah, big series, no question about it. I, I just want to comment on Steph mentioned Bregman. <laughs> and a couple of players. Um, I, I love Bregman. He's hilarious. Um, he's first of all, he makes himself accessible, and I, I know not everyone's a barstool fan. I am, but he's opened himself up uh, to a number of interviews and and uh, through barstool and not just barstool, at local Houston uh, media and everything else. And uh, he's a guy that's not afraid to do things like show the three home runs he hit against Evaldi two years ago when Evaldi right. was pitching for the Devil Rays, although that backfired epically. But the we talked about this last uh, podcast. I just want to touch on it quickly, really quickly. I, I'm an old-school baseball fan that understands, I think understands, that um, the modern professional athlete personality will move the sport forward. So Bregman, um, Puig, uh, some of these other guys that that are known for epic Harper, known that are uh, known for epic bat backflip, uh, bat flips, and other sorts of things, celebrating good plays. 
Um, I think it's great for the sport, and and I think Alex Bregman is really important to furthering the sport that we have dedicated our time so much that we're on a podcast about it. Yeah. Um, it guys like him who bring some sort of electricity to the sport that can be called boring and all, all they do is stand around. Alex Bregman, to me, is awesome. The guy's awesome. His personality's awesome. He doesn't back down. He'll he'll give you a little bat flip. He's a gold glove winning uh, a gold gold glove capable third baseman. Um, he's just a guy I really really I, I fanboy over. Um, I wish he was a Red Sox. And yeah. if they said to me, "We'll trade you Devers for Bregman and and David Price," I I I'd drive him to Houston myself. He's so, doing a lot of driving, man. Yeah, well, I, no one. By the way, Steph, no one actually takes me up on these offers, so I don't do any driving. But it's it, it's 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 tongue in cheek because um, obviously uh, Houston values Bregman appropriately because he's awesome. Yeah, and I don't I don't think we'll get into it tonight, obviously. But um, the whole bat flip thing, I, you know, I, I guess there's some people who are really offended by it. I am am not um, at all. I I think it's like. The only word I can think of is like pussification. It's the pussification of sports if you're offended because somebody celebrated that they hit a home run. Like, big fucking deal. Do better. Do better. And then you won't have to be offended because somebody hit a home run off of you. That's yeah, where I stand that, on that one. <laughs> I know we don't want to make this into a big, long thing, but I just want to point out one that that to me is such a good point. So let's apply the other three sports. In hockey, they call them sellies. And they'll skate on one foot and do massive fist pumps and they'll jump into the glass and that all five guys hug and do a big celebration. No one no one gets no one gets in a fight no over it. No one wants to beat their ass because of it. And football, epically, you know, Terrell Owens dumped popcorn in his face mask. Uh, various people have pulled cell phones out. Uh, Chad Ochocinco put on a Hall of Fame jacket that he made himself. Uh, people have done dances, shuttle dances, and you know all these different things. In basketball, uh, the athletes get and one, and they thump their chest, and they all celebrate and jump up and down, and this and that. And no one gives a fuck. To, to, but to in defend, baseball, they care defend, for whatever reason. Well, yes, but to defend, not that I'm saying I have a problem with it. I really don't. Do I think Bryce Harper's a little bit douchey? Yes. Do I think that Manny Machado's a D-bag? Yes. Not Hell because yeah. of their not because of their passion for the game or anything. And and <laughs> I know, don't even don't even talk about Machado, Jeremy. I know how you feel. But don't 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 yeah, me too. Don't you think though a little bit of that is because of the of the umpires? The umpires will throw players out for making a comment, for saying something stupid, for not even saying something to them, but then just saying something around them, having a manager like make a comment. So, I mean, the tone is set. The tone is set in baseball. Uh, whoever is the purveyor of the rules and says that that's the way it has to be, you know, has made those rules. And so all these older people, which let's face it, 
baseball in general has the oldest fan base of any of those sports. So you have all these people that are purists, don't want things to change. They don't, they don't want to attract new fans. They want to keep things the way they were. And I get it. I mean, I don't want baseball to change that much either. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, attendance with almost every team. I, in fact, I tweeted an article that I found that only five teams have had improved attendance over, you know, over this year. Uh, so far, not that every team needs it. I get it. You know, Boston, clearly, uh, L.A., blah, 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 all that. But but still, I mean, things are tailing off and something needs to be done. Otherwise, you know, I, I don't think we're in danger of losing baseball. But, I mean, something like that seriously could happen. But I, I think it's going to start with umpires backing off a little bit. Who cares? Who Like you said, who cares if they flip a bat? Who cares if a pitcher, you know, shows some emotion on the mound that doesn't actually affect him and make him suck later, which is the only problem with being emotional? You know, I like to see it. People, I mean, that's what makes people love the sport unless you just have loved it for a really long time. So, but I think it starts there. It starts with the officiating, and once they loosen up a little bit, fans will loosen up. Until then, it's just not going to happen. I... Uh- I think Major League Baseball loves the bat flips. I think they love the personalities. And baseball is not a helmet sport, meaning you actually can associate with someone. So if Bryce Harper's walking down the street, you're going to recognize him. Whereas a hockey player or a football player walking down the street, despite how famous they are, are less recognizable simply by the fact that they wear a helmet over their face during the event in which they're entertaining the fan base. Now. Yeah, well, no, I mean, we're all doing this podcast. I mean, so obviously we're all a bunch of baseball nerds. So, but my point is that baseball is, I think, basically pushing athletes that are willing to show their personality and pushing athletes that are willing to celebrate success. Every other sport celebrates success. Touchdown dances, basketball celebrations, hockey sellies, but... Baseball, you could get thrown at for celebrating your success. The greatest success of hitting a home run could get you or your teammates teammates thrown at at, with 95-mile-an-hour projectiles. Now, why is that? Why is that? Because Because we're babies. Because baseball has this unset, uh, this unwritten set of rules, and I'm using my bunny ears in my kitchen, although no one can see it, that says that you have to play the game the same way it was played 80 years ago. And there are people that still agree with that. I mean, and I don't want to get into go down a rabbit hole more than we already are, but the, the Baseball Writers Association, the BBWAA, they feel like if you've done these things, you should actually be excluded from the Hall of Fame. Like, if you're a bat flip guy, like, you're you're staining the game. It's one of the reasons why I think the younger fan base just isn't attracted to the sport as much as they should be. And that's why, basically, I am a huge proponent. Like, if you hit a home run, I think you should flip the bat into the stands and then after the game, go find the fan and sign the bat. You should be fist pumping you should be showing emotion because you've you've just done something that is one of the most difficult things to do and if you hit a home run that let's say wins a game do a fucking cartwheel do whatever you feel is necessary to celebrate the moment like the nfl permits which is the worst run league in all of the four sports but they let they let people 
celebrations. They let people dance in the end zone. I mean, what the fuck? Why are we so uptight in baseball? Yeah, it's fair. If I'm doing that in my... Yeah, if I'm doing that in my living room, I'm fist pumping, I'm shouting. I want to see the player I'm cheering on do that. If you just hit a home run... I don't I want to I want you to seem like you care. I want you to seem excited. I want you to show emotion as a fan. I don't want players who are just like robotic. We hit a home run and we take our trot around and we're very respectful and we're doing golf claps like it's America's game. We're passionate. We're Americans. Liz, Let's go. Liz, Steph, people have been thrown at I know jogging too slowly around the bases after a home run. Are you fucking kidding me? It's so hoity-toity. It's it's hard to imagine. It's very hoity-toity. Well, and again, I I still think it goes back to officiating. Not only do, you know, maybe there needs to be either harsher penalties for pitchers that make those decisions, you know, to do that. Because I'd like to think that. You know, managers aren't making those calls. It's totally oh, on a are. pitcher trying to support. Well, either way, either way. But also, I mean, who cares if a guy gets a little upset and cusses? Like, it's talking about the Astros, George Springer, not that I'm saying that we need to be, like, cussing at umpires or anything, but he got suspended for one game for calling an umpire a cocksucker. And it wasn't even that he called him a name. <laughs> the umpire tried to say that he was using, like, uh, some homophobic term. And I'm like... What the hell? Like, why are you injecting that into a situation that has nothing to do Baseball with Baseball players have been calling umpires cocksuckers for, like, 200 <laughs> years. I know. Well, I'm just saying. Yeah, you're I'm fucking saying. kidding me? You need, you need mm-hmm. to loosen up, loosen up the reins. I didn't see that. I actually saw I follow a couple of Houston uh, people on Twitter, and, and that's how I saw that. But Each of the four major franchises suffers from... Certain everyone has an identified issue. Uh, both football yes. and hockey are suffering from concussions. Basketball is suffering from a tanking issue. One of the issues, the biggest issue facing baseball, is excitement within a single game. Right, and because there's and also because there's so many games, like yeah, they right. play, they play ten times more than the um, than the NFL and twice as many games as the NBA and the NHL. So you have to build excitement. The fact that they aren't aren't compensating for that it just blows my mind. Um, this is a topic that I guarantee uh, gets brought up again when our fearless leader is back. Oh yeah. And so we'll definitely address this uh, now that we've brought it up on a substantial level with uh, yes. Mr. Cush. <laughs> and which? Yeah. Go ahead, Steph. With that, I'll wrap us up for tonight. I think this is definitely a to-be-continued for sure. Um, but we'll be back here Sunday after the Astros series, hopefully uh, with some more wins in the win column for us. And in the meantime, we look forward, even though we mock it, to those Twitter fingers and to interacting with all of you. And if you get a chance, our shameless plug is, of course, go rate us. We'll take five stars while you're handing them out. Anything else, guys? Yeah, for the people that listen to the podcast, we do interact with those that tweet at us. So if you have an interest in interacting with the the hosts of the show, uh, please tweet us. We do respond. Uh, We do engage. We do enjoy engaging. So please, you know, be more active on social media, especially on Twitter. 
with the podcast if you want to, because if you're thinking about it, if you've typed tweets and before you sent them, you've deleted them. I encourage everyone to, instead of deleting them, send them. Uh, we don't criticize our listeners. We do engage you. So, you know, uh, please be a friend of the program and, and engage with us on social media. Yes, please. Uh, at Vegan Sports Chick. I'll just throw my shameless plug in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All and right. I'd also like to say momentarily that despite the fact that Liz Churchville holds herself out as a Devil Rays fan, she is a closet. Like, And by say closet, I mean everyone knows it. She's also a fan of the Boston Red Sox. So feel free to talk, talk to Liz Churchville about the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> I welcome it. <laughs> Yay. Go Sox. I, I, by All the right, way, a lot of fun. I can't believe we've been at it over an hour. That that flew by. I have to say I had a sure blast uh, blast with you guys tonight. So um, thank you both, Liz and Steph. I had a lot of fun. You're welcome. Thanks, yep. Jeremy. Thanks, Liz. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. Right. Bye-bye. Bye.